And so we find ourselves in verse 5, the second part of verse 5 of our little psalm. The last psalm I was with you. We looked at this verse, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And we, we considered that the table was the flat mountain plateau, tableau, and that it's there that the sheep end up on their summer journey. The psalm takes us full circle in the yearly life of the sheep and the shepherd. And we're up now, and it's a lovely expression to use, and I've used it several times already, but I'll make no apology for using it again. We're up now in the high ground. And as I've said before, what a tragedy that so many Christians, professing Christians, don't seem to have any idea that there is such wonderful high ground that we can attain, that we can strive for. There are so many hirelings, there are so many false shepherds out there as well, who not only are in complete ignorance as to the high ground, but even if you were to tell them they wouldn't want to take their flocks there, they're more interested in fleecing their flocks where they've got them. It's a tragedy, but there is high ground to be had. And so much of the high ground, we arrive there with diligent study of God's word, digging deep, scratching the surface, as we like to say. And hopefully, that's what we've done in these studies through Psalm 23. We've, we've dug a little deeper. We've scratched the surface. We've, we've tried to read into it rather than just read over it with this, um, this safety net of familiarity that is such a danger to our Bible reading and our Bible study. And we notice that, yes, the table is prepared for us and our good shepherd leads us and guides us all the way to this high ground. But then came the reminder again, it's in the presence of our enemies. We're not promised a smooth, easy ride. In the presence of mine enemies. And we considered quite a few of those enemies last time round, what they could be, the, these fiery darts of, of the enemy of our soul that he likes to shoot at us. But one of them connects very strongly to the next statement that is made, you anoint my head with oil. Because... One of the great enemies, and we touched on this a little bit when we considered verse 2, he makes me to lie down. And we considered the four things that need to be absent from a sheep's life before it will lie down. One of them being, it needs to be bug-free. 
Sheep will not lie down in comfort and in any kind of relaxed frame of mind, if you like, if they are tormented by bugs. Well, summertime is fly time. We all know that, and I'm probably a little bit worse than a lot of people. I can't even sit and relax in a room if there's a fly buzzing around. I've got fly swatters strategically placed all around the house. Um, I was bought a wonderful one for Christmas last year that's got a battery in the handle and <laughs> and it's great and you hit a fly with it and there's this big crack and a little puff of smoke and a burning smell and you get them that way but all joking aside, I, I can't be in a room with them, you know, they, they drive me mad. It was, um, it was Anita Broderick's husband who started the Big Issue campaign, who once said when challenged about, oh, why bother, it's such a small thing. And he said, if you think small things don't matter, try spending the night in a room with a mosquito. And... He hit the nail on the head with that one. You know, summer is fly time. And for the shepherd and the sheep, getting back to the context of our psalm, it's a serious big deal, particularly nasal flies. These are horrible little flies that will buzz around sheep in the summer and they're only aim and desire in life is to lay their eggs in the soft warm wet mucus that is around the nostrils of the sheep and if they can do that and the eggs hatch into a little worm-like larva they will make their way up the sheep's nostrils and then embed themselves in the flesh inside the sheep it will cause intense irritation and if it gets infected, it will cause terrible inflammation and it can lead to death. It's a serious big issue. And sheep, when they've got these flies buzzing around them, they will be running around all over the place just trying to get away from the flies. They'll go headlong into thickets. They'll go over the edge of a precipice because they just, all they can think about is getting away and a good shepherd needs to be very very aware of this particular problem if sheep get this infection in their head they will quite literally bang their heads against trees and rocks just to try and get some relief from the pain of it all and they'll damage themselves they can even kill themselves doing this and how does the shepherd deal with it? He anoints their head with oil. In the immediate context, this is what is being spoken of here. Shepherds will carry a mixture of, normally it's a mixture of olive oil and tar or sulfur and herbs, and it's all mixed together and he will anoint the sheep's heads with oil. 
and it will drive the flies away and the sheep know it and they will immediately have a peace about them because they know that it's another experience, an example of the good, caring shepherd looking after them. And normally, these attacks for sheep, normally they're always on the head. The other really big one that's a problem is scab. And it's a tiny little, like a little lice thing. And it likes to live on the sheep's head and behind their ears and all this sort of thing. And, and sheep are affectionate things and they like to rub their heads together as a mark of, a, of affection. And it's very easily passed from one sheep to another. And anybody who's had children that have come home from school with head lice were probably thinking, I know what that reminds me of. And it's, it's the same sort of thing. But now, interestingly enough, when you read through the Old Testament and you have all these laws to do with sacrifice and an interesting expression crops up again and again and again that a sacrifice must be without spot or blemish. And the first and the foremost thing that any priest when he was checking a sheep or a lamb to see if it was pure and suitable for sacrifice, he checked for scab. That is normally what is being referred to when it comes to being without spot or blemish. And so the anointing then we can move it from the physical sense and the, the absolutely immediate context of the sheep out on the plateau with the shepherd to our good shepherd and where we are. Where are we with him? Because in the spiritual sense, you see, we've been anointed. We have God's Holy Spirit and because of the complete and full work of the Trinity when God looks at us he sees us as without spot or blemish wonderful wonderful thought we'll come back to that later and we'll build on that a little bit but you see the attacks are so much on the head and look how that relates to our lives today. Most of the attacks that come on us from the world, as we refer to it, that's outside those doors, are attacks on your mind. We're bombarded with it, aren't we? Visually, if we were to walk from the church here back down through the town to go home you wouldn't get far before you saw something that in some way or another offended you the last time rachel and i were up here we um 
we took a walk around the town and there was two shops that we wanted to go in and we wouldn't go in either of them because the windows of both the shops were just covered in pro-homosexual graffiti. When I say graffiti, I don't mean spray paint graffiti, I mean posters and deliberate things, all this so-called gay pride celebration stuff. And we wouldn't go in either of those shops. We're bombarded with things, visually and with what we hear. If you walk down the road and you pass a crowd of people, the chances are you'll hear foul language or you'll hear God's name being blasphemed. It's, it's all the time, and so many of these attacks are on our mind. I was talking with our brother Chris yesterday, and we were talking about the social engineering that's going on again in this country now, through adverts, through politics, uh, every way you look. And it's all these attacks on our mind, on our head, to try and sway us and to get us going in one particular direction which is certainly not the path of righteousness for his namesake that we considered in verse 3. And this is why I read that passage from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Um, because Paul is talking there about how our mind is changed. And he talks so much about knowing things. He talks about human wisdom. He talks about the rulers of this age and their wisdom which is coming to nothing. He talks then about us having the wisdom of God. He talks about it being revealed to us through the Spirit, for we can know nothing otherwise. It's all talk about the mind, and the mind without God is as dead as the rest of us. You think about... Uh, John chapter 3 and Nicodemus. Now here's a man who's a real big shot, a real high achiever we would say today. He's top of his game. Even our Lord acknowledges him as the master or the teacher of Israel, not in a complimentary way because he says what well, you're the teacher of Israel, and you don't know these things, but Nicodemus is a big shot. But look how he's introduced to us. And here's one of the examples of how you need to beware of chapter divisions in Scripture, because if I were to say to you, where do we find Nicodemus? Where are we introduced to Nicodemus? We would all say, wouldn't we? Well, John chapter 3. Well, not really. The, the introduction, I think, the beginning of the introduction to Nicodemus comes in the last two verses of John chapter 2. 
Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man for he knew what was in man. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. You see, there isn't a cut-off point there and then, oh, let's start on a new subject, let's bring Nicodemus in. Jesus would commit himself to no man because he knew what was in man. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And of course, we all know the story. He comes to Jesus, oh, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher sent from God. Nobody could do the things you do unless he was. And You good old teacher, you, and flatters him and gives him all the soft words. But our Lord takes one look at him and the first thing he has to say to him is, you need to be born again. You're spiritually dead, Nicodemus. You have a heart of stone. Your good works and your self-righteousness are worth nothing. Your eyes are blind and your mind is as dead as your heart is. That's what he's saying to him. He needs the renewing of the mind. We all need the renewing of the mind. We all need our head to be anointed with oil, as it were. And Paul makes this very, very, very clear to us. Um, John does with Nicodemus, and he, he reports Jesus as saying, look, if you're not born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, he's not talking about Nicodemus looking up and being able to see through the first heaven and the clouds and the sky to the third heavens, is he? He's talking about seeing as in understanding and grasping the reality of these spiritual truths. Unless you're born again, Nicodemus, you cannot see any of this. And Paul underlines this as well in Romans chapter 3. And he says, uh, let's read it from verse 9. He's talking about people and he says, well, what then? Are we better than they? No, not at all. We've previously charged both Jew and Greek that they're under sin, as it's written. There's none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands, none who seek after God. They've all turned aside. They've all together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. He says there is none who understands he says again in another place to the corinthians again the things of god are incomprehensible to the natural man if it makes you want to ask the question that the disciples asked well who then can be saved you'll get the same answer won't you well with man it's impossible but one of those lovely biblical buts but with God, all things are possible. Because the anointing 
of the head with oil by God in the spiritual sense involves God pouring out his Holy Spirit on us and in us the work of the Holy Spirit in regenerating us causing us to be born again or better really born from above and our eyes are opened our ears are opened our minds are renewed Paul exhorts us for the renewing and regenerating of our minds to have a mind as Christ this is the work of God's Spirit in our lives and we need to be so thankful for it in the same way that the sheep were thankful for having their heads anointed with oil to make them bug free when our minds are anointed with God's Holy Spirit then our eyes are opened to the truth and as our Lord said if you know the truth the truth will set you free we are free in Christ because our minds and our eyes and our hearts have been open to this wonderful wonderful truth and it is important to note that it's not just our minds that need regenerating it is of course our heart and our spirit we were spiritually dead our hearts were closed and like rock I mentioned it this morning at the other church I was preaching at and I I love to quote it it's so beautiful and it's so simple when Lydia the seller of purple cloth is referred to in the book of Acts and it just quite simply says the Lord opened her heart it's so beautiful and it's so simple but it says so very very much and with all that in mind no wonder a psalmist can cry out my cup runs over the blessings that we have we can never number them sadly I don't think we probably even recognize the majority of them because we're still in our fleshly bodies we're still sojourning through this sinful fallen world and it still is hopefully not always but a lot of the time it really is like wading through treacle isn't it and and our eyes are firmly fixed on the objective and i i don't think we'll realize half of the blessings and the protection and the empowerment that we have been given on our journey through by our Lord until we are in, in glory but certainly and surely our cup runs over but it's good to stop and just remember why our cup runs over um, I've spoken on this a couple of times at churches 
Um, I did briefly here several years ago the the three points of imputation. It's very very easy if you start thinking of imputation to just say, oh yeah, wonderful imputation. Christ's righteousness is imputed to me. And yeah, that's true. But that's the third of the three steps or points of imputation. And it's good to remember them all. When Adam fell, we are told, we fell with him. Now I know that lots of people like to say, well, it sort of caused a few problems, but we didn't really completely fall with Adam. Um, you know, the Arminian argument goes along these lines. Well, some damage was caused, but it's not as bad as you say it is. Well, according to scripture, it most certainly is. Paul says, as in Adam, all die. As through one man, sin came into the world. And as in Adam, all die. It's why the Bible evaluates us the way it does. It's why if you start reading from the beginning, You'll only get to chapter 6 before God wipes out the whole of humankind bar one family of eight. And the reason he gives for it? Because the heart, the desires of the heart of man were only evil continually. When Noah comes off the ark in chapter 9 and God gives him the promise of the rainbow, he reiterates it. Nothing's changed. He says, I promise I won't flood the earth again, even though the desire of man's heart is only evil continually. Nothing changed. He goes on to say through Jeremiah, the heart's desperately wicked, deceitful above all things, unknowable. The psalmist cries out to God, give me a new heart. And the Arminian will say to me, draw it my old mate and speak for yourself. I may be bad, but I'm not that bad. And scripture says, indeed you are. When Adam fell, his sin was imputed to us. And our cup most certainly runneth over with our sin. The wonderful thing, of course, is that the second point of imputation is this, that our sin was imputed to Christ Jesus. And he took that cup and he speaks of it in his agony in the garden in Gethsemane. And he says, does he not? If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Well, what was that cup? That cup was the cup overflowing with our sin, our iniquity, our punishment for it, which was given to him, and he drank and drained every dreg of it. And it is only because of that and our 
putting our faith in that wonderful finished work of he who was without spot and blemish and a perfectly acceptable sacrifice to God that we can say our cup runneth over because then you see the third point of imputation has taken effect his righteousness is imputed to us it's wonderful you you hear people looking back into the past into their early life maybe and perhaps just focusing on all the good points and forgetting all the bad things and the difficult things and you'll hear the expression being used well they're looking at the past through rose-tinted spectacles well there is a sense in which you know when God looks at me he looks at me through Christ-tinted spectacles because when he looks at me he doesn't see sinful fallen Phil Watson in all his filth in the mire and the pit that he has dug himself he sees his son's righteousness imputed to me and if we all grasp that truth then we can surely say my cup runneth over my cup runneth over with blessing and goodness and purity and his righteousness imputed to me. May these thoughts be a blessing to us. May they be an edification to us. May they be a challenge to us. The next time we're tempted like all sheep that go astray the next time we're tempted off the path of righteousness which we are commanded to walk for his namesake perhaps if we all just stop ourselves and just say this thought that i'm just about to indulge and enjoy if that's offensive to god my savior's suffered for that how much should i really enjoy that if we were to challenge ourselves and judge ourselves and give ourselves a bit of a kick a bit more often and not be so complacent as is the way of so many now, I think we'd all be the better for it. So may, may these thoughts be a challenge to us as well, a challenge to walk the walk and may it be on that path of righteousness for his name's sake.